If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Real Estate Podcast, the intersection between the latest trends in real estate and its impact on our everyday lives. We're your hosts, Alex Norman. And Jamie Blonde, and you've come to the right location. The real estate starts now. Today's episode, Home Field Advantage, how sports teams and stadiums stimulate communities. We're proud and honored to have today's guest, Bill Janicek with us, a minority owner of the Miami Marlins baseball franchise, chairman of the board at St. John's University in Queens, New York and the former chief financial officer for KKR, a leading global investment firm focused on private equity and other asset classes, managing over $200 billion of assets. Bill, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Jamie. So sports is a big fabric of our lives. It's very important to a lot of people that brings communities, families, friends together. What's your background and association with sports and how did you get involved uh, at a young age? The background is simple. It's what my dad did. And so it's what, what I did as a kid. And so he, he had he had a, a favorite uh, couple of teams, predominantly around baseball. Uh, and that would have been the, the Boston Red Sox and the, and the New York Mets. And he took me to a lot of games and I fell in love with baseball, probably a combination because it's the greatest it's greatest game ever. But it was connecting with my dad. Mets and Red Sox, Mets and Red Sox. You don't get a lot of people who uh, follow those two teams at the same time. No, and, and especially when you think about where where I was sitting. So I started following them in 1970, all the way up until three years ago. And it, as you can imagine, over that 50 year period, the, the Mets only won one World Series. And up until 2004, um, the Red Sox had won none. And so here I was a kid growing up in Long Island, which is predominantly um, really Mets and Yankees territory. And I I was the kid following the Red Sox only for the fact that my dad was originally a Brooklyn Dodger fan. And when they left to go to California, he had no team to root for and he hated the Yankees. And so he decided to pick their rival, um, which was the Red Sox. Now you have a connection to the Baseball Hall of Fame, correct? As something in honor of your dad, something you sponsored. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Oh, sure. Uh, it's one, one of the smartest things I, I've ever done. Um, when I was a kid growing up, my, my dad would take us on occasion when I was a little kid up to 
Cooper's down. And if you're a little kid, you, you, you sometimes find that museum a little boring. Um, fast forward 30 years and I went up to Cooperstown with my dad. Um, and by then I'm probably 50 years old. My dad is, you know, 75, 76. And we walk into Cooperstown and we go into the gallery where the plaques are, where, where the Hall of Famers are. And it looked as if my dad was a kid in a candy store. I've never actually seen him as comfortable as he was walking around that afternoon. And at the time I had a very good relationship with the president of the Hall of Fame. And over the course of you know the next three months, we decided that we would put together an exhibit in the hall starting in really 1970 to present day baseball where it was about recording the history of baseball over the last 50 years, but it was also about the journey that my dad and my dad and I had around our love of baseball. It sounds tremendous. Yeah. And when you throw into that, uh, the, the fact that I've got two boys that are in their late twenties, early thirties. And so over the last 30 years, um, the same passion that I had around baseball between my dad and myself was the same that I have with my two boys and me because they're as passionate around baseball, although they actually root for a different team. Uh, my my older son is actually a Yankee fan. Um, he you lost was, control of the kid. You lost control of the kids already. <laughs> I lost control. Well, he he was he's a lot smarter than me. He he was in second or third grade, and he said, "Dad." I don't understand. Your team loses all the time. And there's this other team, the Yankees, and they win the World Series every couple of years. Why do you root for the the, the bad team? <laughs> I said, well, blame, blame it, blame it on my dad. But he said, Well, that that's great, but I'm not I'm not following you. I'm I'm gonna root for these Yankees. So what would be your uh your favorite moment uh in baseball history? The, the favorite moment in baseball history is the game that I didn't go to. I was at work um, and I couldn't get out of leaving work to go to the game. And I was taking my two boys and myself and, and my dad and had to work through the game and it was the Yankees against the Red Sox. And so you had certainly people that had rose colored glasses on watching the same game. And my dad got home first and gave me a play by play of how the game went. And 10 minutes after that, I actually got a call from my son who gave me a play by play of actually how the game went. And they were two different stories, but two <laughs> different guys watching the same game with the same outcome. <laughs> and I'll remember, I'll remember that night the, re the rest of my life uh, because they were just so thrilled to be together watching, watching that game. And I didn't even have to be there. Uh, the question, w big question would be, were the scores different? <laughs> no, no, same, same end result. My, 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 my dad did admit that the Red Sox be got beat and the Yankees really did win that game, but he, he had a different view as to how they, how they got beat. 
That sounds like a guy coming back from a date telling his buddies, oh yeah, she loved me. Believe me, she's crazy about me. And the girl telling her friends, I can't believe you set me up with that guy. <laughs> I'm just saying people have told me. I, I don't know you've, if that's you've true. Heard. <laughs> well, speaking of baseball, uh, let's talk about the Marlins for a second. When you're sitting there and you're watching your team play, can you relax or is it like you're at work or something and you're telling you call this a report? Go back to your office. You call that a bat, an at bat. You go back to the guy to go and I better see you in three, three innings. You, you better show me something. Are you tense? How do you enjoy a game that you're there at? The one thing I've learned is you cannot enjoy the game anymore. Um, <laughs> you, you have, you have too much skin in the game. And so if, if they're, if they're up by six runs in the ninth inning, you, you still don't relax, but that, 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 that's half the fun because when they do win the, the, the feeling that you have from winning and listen, I don't think there's ever been a bigger baseball fan when I followed the Red Sox or the Mets than me. I, I watched them intently, but th this is just a, a whole different level. I, I don't know how, I don't know how people owners have done this when they own a team for 20, 30 years. I'm told you get used to it over time. But we're still not we're still not there. Correct me if I'm wrong. You your team just hired the first female executive director of a baseball team. Maybe I don't have the title right, but a big step for uh, for women in sports. No. Yes. No. That 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 is fact. And I remember hearing about the hiring, and I, I thought it was a great hire. At the time, in the first day I heard it. I didn't know that she was going to be the first general manager or the first person in charge of true ba baseball operations. If you look at her credentials, she, she has got the goods. And so we we're just l l lucky to have her. I'm from Jersey originally. And so I was naturally a Mets fan, which is strange, but I, I recently lived in, um, in Michigan and I was in Detroit. And as a, as a Mets fan in Detroit, you, you, you pretty much last about a week. And then all of a sudden you're a Tigers fan. And uh, yeah, then you got, so Tiger Stadium sits in the middle of Detroit, uh, walking distance from downtown. And recently the, um, the, the uh, uh, Little Caesar Stadium also just opened up, which has the Pistons, and the Red Wings, and that's a new stadium that has um, both offices in them. It has restaurants. It has that are both available to the participants of the of the stadium, as well as the the surrounding public and the surrounding community. And that's also walking distance from downtown. And so when I see when I look at these stadiums that are newly built that are opening themselves up to the community. I see a lot of opportunity. I see a lot of engagement and perhaps a lot more, um, a lot of revenue, but I also see the challenge with that, right? I, it's funny because Google bought a bunch of uh, square foot, uh, uh, square feet in, in this stadium. And if you're not, you know, a Pistons fan or a Red Wings fan, and you got to go to, the, you got to walk into the stadium and go to work. It's kind of sucks. So, so mixed use has a, has a positive impact. And it also can be tough for, for fans that have, of opposing teams that have to go to work uh, every day and see, and see this stuff. Agreed. But the, the, the one good thing about the way Marlins park has been, has been set up. And when we were kids, we went to a baseball game and, the only thing going on at the baseball game 
was the game itself. Right. Now these parks are built. I thought you were going to say food, but anyway. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's be honest. I was a kid going to the baseball game. I wasn't going. I was going for the hot dog. Is there anything better from a kid than peanuts? You eat it and you throw it on the floor. Good right. luck getting away with that at home. That's, it's like paradise for a kid. You, st you stand up and you brush the peanuts and you walk out. It's like a dream come true. Well, then you, you'd be you'd be happy going to Marlins Park because we we have fa fancy hot dogs and fancy peanuts. But back to back to the point I, I was trying to make in that. You, when you went to a baseball game, for the most part, it was all about the game and there was food involved. Now you go to a game, it's not really a baseball game, it's an experience. Sure, baseball is still the draw, but there are lots of people that go to games just for, for, for the experience. Case in point. Yeah, and the food, right? I mean, so it's like they're all new, healthy options. I mean, heaven forbid you had a nut allergy <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, back <laughs> 15 years ago. Forget about those peanuts, right? Uh, but like now you can get your kombucha, you can get your salads. I mean, I don't know if that's the case at Marlins, but uh, it sounds like uh, more options, better experiences opens up uh, a great family experience, right? For all families and, and all people can go and enjoy in their own way a good a good day at the game. No, no, no doubt. And uh, you, you've been to Shea Stadium, so you, you know what I'm talking about. As far as food, you, you had one station that sold hot dogs and peanuts and popcorn and soda and beer. And then you went to the next station. And what did they sell? Hot dogs and peanuts and soda and beer. You go to Marlins Park, we have probably 25 different food stations where, believe it or not, some of the best sushi I've eaten over the last year, well, two years because of COVID, was, was, was at Marlins Park. Who would ever think you, you, you would get good sushi at a baseball game? Maybe I'll just go there just for the sushi and then leave. That, that would be fine. As long as, as long as you buy a ticket, we'd, we'd love to have you. <laughs> this is <laughs> exactly. Consider that the down payment to get into the restaurant. That's the grease to get into the, to get a table. Bill, um, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about St. John's University. You're, you're, you're the most senior person there, I guess, the uh, chancellor of the uh, chairman of the board chancellor. What is the exact title, Bill? That you, Cha you Chairman of the board of trustees. Chairman of the Board of Trustees. Um, there's a lot of things. There are a lot of things going on with universities and COVID. I have a niece that's at Vanderbilt, and she has most of her classes online. Uh, one class in person. It's a bit of a mix and a mess. Um, we had somebody on who was talking about off-campus and on-campus housing as an owner across the country and, and how they're dealing with that situation. You're a huge fan of the Johnny's basketball team. Uh, you are overseeing all of that. As you sit in your, in your role there, given COVID and everything, what particularly have you been drawn to having to focus on or, or see a benefit or, or anything in these challenging times? Well, it's it just... Try, trying to make lemonade out of, out of lemons right now. Every single university has the same problems we have. J just to give you uh, an example of how the year has changed, we, we, we are at one point a commuter campus, then we decided to provide housing on campus. We, we built dorm rooms. We have capacity for 3,200 beds. Um, for, the, for the prior year, so the fiscal year ended 
May, May 31st, 19. Of the 3,200 beds, we had 3,100 students using that bed. So pretty, pretty close to occupancy. When you think about the spring semester um, for 2020, um, we had 1,600 beds being utilized, so 50% occupancy. And so the challenges that all the universities have where anyone who is a secondary student, meaning coming from somewhere else to live on campus, a lot of those, a lot of those kids decided to stay home or to take a gap year. Um, so challenge number one is for those, those universities that have housing, how to make sure you continue to bring students on, on campus. And you want them on campus so they have that full college experience. The other issue that everyone has been dealing with um, in the, the fall semester um, was online or in-person teaching. And that was a challenge uh, in, in, in two ways. One is because of the capacity of each room, uh, instruction room as to how many students you could have, and also the safety and welfare of the faculty. So we, we had faculty who were of age where it was concerning for them to be teaching on campus. And so they taught online. And so you wanna make sure the students get the experience that they deserve. So about 40% of classes taught at St. John's th this past uh, semester were in-person experience. The other 60% was online. We're hoping that, you know, touch wood, now that the vaccine is in front of us and that will roll out, that we'll do a little better um, in the spring, but hopefully by the fall of, of 2021. Um, will be, will be almost back to normal. So when you say back to normal, and I think all of us uh, are looking forward to that, but then all of us are starting to understand that that actually may be a new normal, right? And that there's a, a hybrid between on-campus and off-campus, and that goes for everything, not just universities, but it goes for um, for shopping, uh, you're going to the mall, if you will, um, and also, you know, going to the game. You know, when I think about uh, my, my most recent experiences going to the game, I think about the parking. Okay, just, just actually, <laughs> just actually getting there physically. Forgetting about you know what you do when you get there. Of course, experience is awesome. The games are great. <clears throat> yeah, and you know, particularly if it's your favorite team, and they're winning. Uh, but the 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 journey to that game has always been um, a challenge. Uh, for me, it's a challenge because it's a pain in the butt finding parking and all that good stuff because I end up finding the parking space that's a mile away from the stadium and I'm walking in that distance. Um, but for others, it's like, it's, a, it's an amazing spirit in and of itself, right? There, there's a lot of tailgating and these kinds of things on, uh, you know, on site. Now with, you know, obviously families, carpooling, now with Ubers of the world, now where the virtualization of, of certain sports are happening, you know, are we going to start seeing um, perhaps less attendance uh, or perhaps maybe even less need for for large vast parking spaces at, at, at stadiums these days I mean, what are we what are we seeing where is that going in terms of how people get to the games that, that, that's a good question and back to your, your original point before before we focus in on just the, the parking itself business as usual is not going to be business as usual anymore and so you, you are right, because I mentioned, you know, fall of 2021, back to normal. There will not be the old normal. Um, 
their, their virtual learning will take place more so now, period, than had taken place because people, when they have to deal with an experience, adapt. And there, there are some instances where virtual learning is positive as opposed to negative, but you still need that in-person experience in order to get what you need to get out of a college experience. Half of the reason why you go to school, at least I believe, was to network with, with, with your peers, um, especially when, when you're in a graduate program, um, because half the contacts you're gonna make in a business community once you graduate are gonna be the kids that you're sitting next to in, in, a, in those graduate programs. But getting now back to your point about parking um, at Marlins Park, which has always been a challenge. Parking problems are good for business. Parking problems are always good for business. <laughs> you know, speaking of the footprint, you brought up an interesting point, um, Bill, about getting the full camp on-campus experience. I had grew up in high school in Brazil, so I came back to Montreal, uh, lived with my dad, who I hadn't seen in a long time. So I went to college at McGill, which is an, like St. John's. It's an in-city school right in smack downtown Montreal. And so I always wondered, you know, what I lost, what, what, I, what benefit I might have had of being away from home while going to university. Uh, in a, in a, big, in a, a school like St. John's, 20,000 people in the middle of a major city, how do you uh, tailor programs to give more of the surrounding people who are going there but not living on campus, which is 70, 80% of your students, how do you give them more of that on-campus experience if possible? Well, we, we have a, a, lot of, a lot of programs throughout the year which are tailored around keeping kids on campus even after class is over. So intramural events, uh, teaching lectures, um, intern programs at lo local um, employers. So I, like you, did the same thing. I went to St. John's myself. I never had the college experience. I drove my car, I parked my car, I went to class, I left class, got in my car and went home. I never really had the experience of interacting with the student body itself. My two boys went away to college and ha had that experience and you can't put actually a price tag on how much that is worth, as opposed to, and don't get me wrong, sitting in a class and getting educated is very important, but the, the ancillary benefits of having the whole college experience is what grooms a person at that early age to, to, be, to be an upstanding citizen. And that is, and in your role at uh, kind of a very senior top of the trustee board, overseeing everything, are, are you interacting with uh, the political arms of Queens, with the real estate development arms of Queens, whether it's the footprint of the university or, or regulations that happen on and off campus? Uh, how much of your time is spent dealing with that kind of relationship? It's interesting when when you're on the board, your your role is to actually govern and not manage, and so you have to draw a fine line between doing that well, and so you want to try to make sure that management does what they need to do. But for example, when we were going through the COVID crisis, and it was March, it was April, and everyone didn't know which way was up, 
we, at the recommendation of someone on the board, mentioned to management that it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to do some outreach up to the governor's office to see if St. John's could be a place where to the extent that they ran out of room for hospital beds, wow, to use those, those beds in the dorms that we weren't using for, for that very purpose. It got to a point where we have a field house, which is a practice facility, and we have Conesecca Arena, where we offered that up to New York State and said that if you do run out of beds, we, we are open for business. We have a very good relationship with New York Presbyterian Hospital, which is right down the, the road from us. And we have that relationship only for the fact that from a placement point of view, when some of our kids graduate in that program, that they have a place to go. We reached out with them and working with New York State came up with a plan. Now, we were fortunate enough that they didn't need this space, but they had actually drawn up blueprints and actually had a plan as to how they were going to implement that strategy if in fact we needed it. But it would be something like that where the board would actually work and all the hard work is done by the, the senior leadership of St. John's in order to implement something like this. So Bill, you're from New York and sounds like you're gonna be spending a lot of time down here in Miami. There are a lot of people, probably because of the pandemic, who have, for whatever reason, found themselves moving from wherever they were, California, New York, the Northeast, and decided to change up the game and come down to Miami or Southern Florida. So you've got yourself, you've got a lot of people who were probably fans <laughs> Easier on going, right? We're probably fans of their home teams that now have made their new home in Florida, in Miami, that are probably, and and uh, don't hate me if you're Yankees, or those Yankees fans that are listening, are probably looking for a new team to follow. <laughs> So, so, okay, so, so you're, you're one of, you're one of us and I'm included. So I've just moved here to Miami. So I'm kind of new here. So, so and so forth. So for, for the, for the new fans, for the new Miami residents, uh, what do you have, what can you say to get all of us and people like us uh, to the game? I am now a Floridian. I, I am not a New Yorker. Um, your home is where your heart is, and, and Miami is now now my home because that that's quite honestly where where my team is. It, it, it was just luck or happenstance that there are only 30, 30 baseball teams right now, and one comes available every three or four years. And so when I found out in 2017 that – Derek Jeter was putting together a consortium to buy the Marlins. And when you think about any other city you might want to retire to, and I was <laughs> contemplating retirement in 2017, um, what better city than, than Miami? Um, and it had so much upside. It, it has one of, the, one of the greatest ballparks of all 30 teams. Um, the only thing we were lacking was a team that played well. But with, with the right one ownership, little detail, <laughs> but with the right ownership, um, we, we could we could certainly improve the fan experience down in Miami more than people have ever seen 
remember Miami, Miami Marlins or the Florida Marlins have only been around for about 30 years. Bill, on, on that positive note, I want to thank you very much for taking the time uh, to join us on our podcast today. Thank you, Bill. It's been awesome. Take care, guys. You've been listening to The Real Estate Podcast. Please give us a quick review and rating on iTunes. Check out our website at therealestate.co and let us know if there are any new topics you'd like to hear us address. We love hearing your feedback. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.